The following was written describing my next guest, the number one bourbon general, the career cook, the future former rapper, the man with the 96 mentality, the owner of $3 Pistol Music, uh, and much more. He's uh, also describes himself as South Philly's finest crime author. He's Zilla Rocca, and I want to welcome him to the Library of Timonico. Thanks for joining me, man. Anytime. It's been a long time coming. I'm excited. Yes, sir. Uh, so I was reading, you know, reading up on you, and I... Um, I got to a 2005 interview uh, Whoa. where you said uh, you were doing something hip hop related every day, um, which got me like, what does that what does that mean? Like, you know, we we we, I feel sometimes we throw around the term hip hop or just terms in general, and not really, and people don't really understand what that means. So, when you're describing you're doing something hip hop related every day, can you kind of describe to listeners what that exactly means? Yeah, I, I, back then it was the. Um like the whole, you got to grind all the time. Um, you know, like I remember like the internet was like first really getting popping back then in MySpace, And, um, I was like running my, a little rap label in Philly and like linking up with artists and friends and trying to find videographers and producers and guys that would do graphic design and then like have meetings and, uh, listen for music all the time and grab samples and then work on, two three or four people's albums at the same time and it was just like very focused on getting on mm-hmm. so trying to get my label on trying to get my rap group on trying to produce for other people because i was i always studied um like death jokes heavily like how they create a movement you know first with company flow and then with l you know being around really dope guys and then doing full albums for like cannibal ox and other people you bring aboard so my goal back then was to kind of be uh, like a rapper producer, but then also like organizer, label head, PR dude, controller of social media accounts. It was it was a lot. So yeah, yeah. I, I, if, if I wasn't like rapping and producing that day, I was doing something else, like posting updates on like seven artists' MySpace pages, or like mailing out like physical like like press kits to like labels and promoters and magazines and CDs out to like the first wave of bloggers. So it was, uh, yeah, it was, it wasn't just like the creation of the music itself. It was like all aspects of, I guess, the business of rap. Mm. When did you start kind of, um, I guess, maybe divvying up responsibility or having to kind of, kind of force your, quote unquote, force yourself to cut back on being, you know, having all these jobs? And, um, it, it, luckily, um, it kind of did it on its own in the terms of like losing friendships and like losing partnerships and then like realizing that, wait a second, um, this person actually, we, our tastes are really not similar at all. Right. We're just really, really ambitious and young and really want a lot of attention and props and shows and money. So over time it was just like very like chaotic and dysfunctional because there were just so many people that we kept taking aboard for our little our little mission. So uh I guess by like two thousand ten, that was when I was just I moved on and I was like, I'm just totally solo. I'm just by myself in charge of my own thing. And uh I remember like they asked and I'm not on this level by any means, I get it, but I remember they asked L P or somebody or tweeted him like, well, you know, you you're so dope now and you've been around so long, like well, you know, why don't you start another label? Would you do that? He was like, Never <laughs> Like I would never start another label. I would never be in charge of other artists' careers and their albums and all. Like, because once you just get settled into just being an artist, 
by yourself after being in charge of like 10 other people or 15 other people, you got to deal with 10 to 15 other people's like drama, mm-hmm. headaches, misgivings, insecurities, like aspirations. And, but you, you're trying to get on too. So like you're actually competing with them sometimes too. Right. And that's really difficult. So once I was able to just be totally solo and I started my own solo imprint, $3 pistol music, then I was like, Oh, okay. I can just like make my own stuff when I want and do whatever I feel like. And, and use all the contacts I've gathered and worked for just for me. I don't need to, like, all right, it's this guy's turn for three, four months. Okay, then once he's done, i got to cycle in this group and get them out there. So it kind of it just gradually got there on its own. And then for the last eight, nine years, it's just been me. And then later on, my friend, we, we clicked up to form Wrecking Crew. But all those guys have been through similar things, too. So we all kind of, like, linked at a later point in our lives and careers, being like, hey, we've all been in bad situations. Let's all just kind of hang out and do stuff for fun, and we could all be our own entities at the same time. So it's like the most drama-free new chapter of, uh, of like having a rap crew, a bunch of friends again. It, you know, you it's something that's very for me very incredible uh, about obviously about doing this podcast for the last uh, long time. I think eight years, but uh, uh, it has been that you know when you grow up listening to music you you know they're the the artists are you know either like you know you're i might be in fifth grade and the artist might be in high school right so uh they're more carefree artists at the time but as you grow up as we all grow up we all become adults and we mature and we some of us have families and stuff like that uh you you you're you're your dad now um how has the kind of the importance of or the purpose of the art for you have how has it changed since you, you you know you joined the group of fatherhood that's a great question man um i thought like my last album uh future former rapper when i made that i was like oh, okay like this will be my last hurrah like I, i'll i'm about to be a dad and i can't i can't i can't see me continuing this lifestyle uh you know going to other people's shows and then rehearsing for a set and then trying to bang out an album with somebody over here and then trying to just like the amount of movement mm-hmm. and then like, you know, the amount of things you need to do to be seen to maintain relationships and stay on people's minds, you know, in Philly or New York or trying to book tours. So I was like, all right, well, you know, that's probably going to be over. Um, cause I didn't, I, I, I wouldn't be able to do like, all right, well, uh, I have like a four month old, let me go hit the road for six weeks. Like <laughs> I just couldn't, I'm just not wired that way. Some people are and that's cool. And that's how they make a lot of money. Um, I just, I just wouldn't, and my wife was not going to be down with me being like just all gone for right. six weeks or eight weeks or even like, you know, 10, 15 days doing, a, you know, shows in different countries or cities. I mean, so I guess it, it created like a, like the first year my son was born, I just really didn't do anything. And that was like my first time, like not spending every day making music in like 10, 15 years, something like that. So it allowed me just like, just to hang out and just mm-hmm. like be a person and nothing else. So, you know, I'd still listen to music and check for stuff and support people's records, but I wasn't actively like, all right, I need to arrange this. Like, what, what song goes with this on this? Like, who should I get on this song? Or I need, I need to be at that venue tonight to, you know, to, to promote. So um, now now my son's older. He's like three years old now. Um, you know, as they get older, things get a little bit easier. You start getting a, a routine. Right. And on my end, it just like, it really helped me to learn how to like be very 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 efficient with time management Mm. so like i I don't have you know i don't like come home from work and just like sit in front of a computer for seven hours 
you know, and then have like four or five guys come over and make stuff or hang out all weekend at shows. So it, it's interesting in like watching like me to make the, make those determinations. Like, here's how this is going to fit into my life right now. And then watching things gradually just shift to work that way. So like a lot of the opportunities I get now are things that I would have killed for when I was like 25, 26. Um, but they didn't happen because I was like very like serious and focused and like very tight and like very anxious because and like burned out and right. not even aware you're burned out. So when you're just more relaxed in general and you're just doing things you really like to do. It, I mean, it, things happen slower, but they still happen because you're just you're still contributing to the conversation, to the culture of music, to like your local scene, to like your fans online. It's just it's just ways you can't anticipate. It doesn't happen like the, the exact way you want. Right. It's like, oh, I have to go here, and then this will happen. It's like, well, I don't go there. But these other things are happening that I don't even think about ever. So um, it's it's been like more of an organic, like relaxed process versus actually like, I have to get on, man. We have to get on that bill. Oh, my God. My album needs to get reviewed. I need to sell. Like, that whole wiring thing's out the door. Are you are you also kind of experiencing that more of your fellow artists are kind of you know they're understanding you that you're a dad now and you you have other responsibilities uh, you know because I because I also imagine like you know you 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 do deal with artists that I work with you've you've worked with artists that are single or you know they they could they could do the four o'clock in the morning thing you know um, or they you know they want to record like let's say hey we have a recording session at one o'clock and you're like well, I can't do it I have to you know my son does the weather or right. something like that yep. um, I mean are you finding that more artists are actually uh, are are receptive to that and were you surprised that they were as are they are as receptive to that yeah I think it was like a transition at first because I used to have like the main studio so you know I went to school for audio engineering. And so I now like record stuff and mix stuff and do all that and then produce and rap. So I used to be able to be like the main hub for people that want to pay me to do a session or me and this guy do an album together or whoever. So once that wasn't available anymore, it was like, okay, well, I mean, it's available to me, but only around like the times my son's like taking a nap. <laughs> and you know what I mean? Like I can't like have, all right, man, come over. I think you're going to fall asleep at one o'clock. Right. So maybe you want to, well, what if you're going to fall asleep at two thirty? Well, uh, ooh, sorry. So it, for, I guess it's like for my, my friends around me, they had to make adjustments to figure out like, well, what, you know, what were they going to do in terms of like being able just to record? But if I still need to mix and master stuff, yeah, I can still do that on my own and still write on my own. So it's, it's, it's hard for me like to go out and record at other people's places a lot or do more stuff out and about. But I think the good thing is that I've stayed prolific. Mm. You know what I mean? So I've been active and, and current and, being in the, the limelight, so to speak, on like the indie rap wave as best I could without having to run around and put in like the time like I did when I was single. And like also what I've noticed is like when I was single, it's like, 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 like when you're busy, you get more done. Right. And so <laughs> when your time is like very, very limited between juggling very real responsibilities, the things that need to get done in terms of like the rap fun stuff, they get done too. Right. Um, Versus like when I when I could just like oh you know what it's Saturday I don't know maybe I like go to movies by myself maybe I go to a record store maybe I just take a nap <laughs> uh, maybe I'll go drink go drinking tonight whatever like <laughs> the, not the amount of the productivity was there but like things actually weren't happening versus like okay I have twenty five minutes to record this for this guy 
I'm getting that done today. Boom, right, that's, yeah. that's finished. Okay. Like, it, it's it's amazing to get, like, how, how much more focused you are because you really don't have time to mess around. So I, I think, like, the output and the way I can knock out stuff and turn around things for people, whether, like, they're collaborators I don't know yet or, you know, over email or in a different country or albums working on with guys, like, full throttle, or, like, I think they, they understand that, but also, like, I'm, I'm still producing. You know, it's not going to take me, like, two years to make an album with somebody. And 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 so it's turned. You, you do have a new album out, right? It's called uh, "96 Mentality." Um, so, for listeners, what is the '96 mentality, and why is 1996 your favorite year in rap? 1996, man. It's I don't know. It's just like it was like the last time where I was really just only a fan without any thoughts of like, man, I should be a rapper, hmm. or like, wow, that's going to be my dream someday. It's like, man, like it was like that like little like bridge year because I still I still thought maybe I could like be an athlete someday and play baseball, right, or play basketball, and I was like going into high school and and meeting like newer people from all over Philly that I didn't know because I came from like a very small like neighborhood area in South Philly where it's like you just know the same people, you're around them all the time. Then you go to high school with them, you're around them all the time, and then that's it. Um, so like even going to high school, I started high school in 1996. So like that was like meeting people from all over the area I would never have known and like seeing what they liked and what they listened to. So like, you know, then like give me that first Health to Skelter album, like trading tapes or like the Lil' Cam album or like Alcoholics. So like just even being like exposed to newer rap stuff that I wasn't checking. Because hmm. all my friends in South Philly just like biggie. You know, like, right. like whatever, like radio, big records, like Nas. Okay, but you know, like I'm meeting dudes that are like, yo, I love this Outkast album. I love this Master P album. I was like, what? I would never listen to that. So it started exposing me to all that, like Exhibits album or whoever. Um, and so when I was starting to make this record, I finished Future Former Rapper, and that, that took like several years because that started and was made before, during, and after I became a dad. And I was like, I don't want to spend three, four years making albums anymore. Like, I want to make it, because that was my problem. My problem was always, any album you heard from me, from the time, by the time it was released, it had started like two, three years previously. Oh, wow. And I was like, I want something to come out that mirrors how I feel right now. Not like, oh, I remember how I felt when I made that three years ago, but now it's out today. Hmm. You know, so 96 Mentality was like, I had a bunch of beats sitting around, they all kind of had like a similar feel from all different guys I'm, I'm friends with or, or like, you know, wanting to work with. And they just gave me that feeling where I was just like making stuff that I really liked. And it was of a certain aesthetic, you know, like, like more of like a East coast traditional sound, which I hadn't really done like full throttle in a long time. And it just made me feel that way. I was like, yo, I feel like I'm a fan. Like I'm just really enjoying it. I'm not like putting pressure on it or nice. like, man, I don't know if this people are ready for this. Like, what if this doesn't sell? Or like, man, what if, like there was no thought beyond like I just want to make these songs and they're really fun and everything was pretty effortless like I didn't really like labor too heavily on any of the music so you know usually I used to be like like very conceptual and like uh, have like a lot of notes mm-hmm. and like retrieve things to write from a notebook and like a little like like the notebook app on my phone I would always like write down phrases and 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 like sentences and words and i would like empty them out and this one i was just like this beat is hot i'm going to write to it for the next 20 minutes okay it's done i record it okay it's done and so it was a very like it was a brand new process for me and so we're now like that album started the process of me just not i don't write anything down so everything i do now is like written in my head like jay-z or like biggie um and it's way more freeing and fun and, and you, you can get more done that way versus like staring at a computer screen 
staring at a piece of paper, like, like pacing around the house. And so I, I wrote like that for like 15 years, <laughs> and now I don't. And it's just like way more. Uh, it's just like everything's like like it's like it's like very breezy. It's like a very breezy approach to making the music. And I think the album is like that. I think it's an album you can just like play whenever. Like you play with the sun down. I mean, with the, with the sun's up, the sun's down, your windows down, headphones, right. speakers. Like it's a very like multi-functional record versus other records I made like very moody, where like you you should only play it in winter. Right. You know, or only play uh, you know when you're heartbroken or something. So it's uh <laughs> it's this this one's like more wide open and i guess like that because that's what i was when i was making it it was just a very like relaxed affair um in the end of the uh the first track uh polish figaro uh you have uh alan iverson talking about uh if he came back after death who would he come back as and of course you know ai says he'll come back as himself um naturally naturally of course uh what does for, you know I, I i you know you you read about what ai meant to philly but what for you, what what did AI mean to you as a person, but also kind of if you think about your art, you as an artist? Wow, that's 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 amazing. Um, that's that's a big question. So the irony is like '96 mentality, like the whole design, it's all based on the '96 Georgetown Hoyas uniforms, mm. like the color scheme of the record, um, the tape design, all that, because that was like he was the first like basketball dude that was like everything about me is hip-hop yeah. everything like my tattoos my, my like even in georgetown he was wearing the patent leather jordans with the baggy shirt and it was very unapologetic whereas like other guys would be hip-hop with like their sneaker or their socks or their shorts but not like with their hair or like tattoos so i remember like seeing him like yo he looks like guys that play ball down the street from me and like and like my area, mm-hmm. and he, you know he's from Virginia. So watching him in, in college, I was like enthralled, you know, because he was so small and he was like explosive and he was ferocious. And the Georgetown uniforms were ill, and the guys on his team like Jerome Williams and uh, Victor Page and all that. And then when the Sixers drafted him, I was just like, oh my god, like what, what are the odds we're going to get this dude? I'm my favorite player in college. I had like his jersey in college. And so when they got him, it was like same thing. Like he brought all the excitement and energy. And everybody in Philly, like Philly as a town is like obsessed with underdogs because Philly has like, like New York's obsessed with winners. Like, like the, like the, like the story people in New York tell themselves is like, we demand excellence because we are excellent and everything will work out for us because we are the best. Except with the Knicks. And that's what we relate to. You know what I mean? Except for Knicks. But like overall, New York is like bored. Like if you're just amazing, but nothing comes out of people like, oh, you suck. Right, right. Who's next? Where in Philly is like, wow, like you're amazing. And even if it doesn't work out, as long as you play really hard and act like you really care about it, then we're going to love you forever. Right. So it's like the story, we, even when, if, you know, up until the, the, the Eagles won the Super Bowl, it's like, well, we're underdogs. That's why we did it. We're underdogs. We got a lot of heart and passion and grit. So, like, he was the perfect guy to exemplify, like, all the stories and mythology, like, Philadelphia fans have been telling themselves forever. And, like, so even, even him, like, stepping over Tyron Lue. Like that, that image has been on so many t-shirts in Philly, frame prints, you know what I mean? Like people's basement, like, like you couldn't even, you couldn't love him more. Like if they were to beat the Lakers, people would still love him even though they lost to the Lakers. Right. (laughs) Like they still love him. They're like, even, even the practice thing, like living here, like anyone says, anytime you say we're practice down, people like practice, we talking about practice. Like that was in 2000, whatever, free. 
And so, like, that's in our vernacular from that guy. So I think, like, he's – his overall impact was, like, he was deeply, deeply flawed as a guy where he'd done, like, really repugnant, weird things that people in Philly know stories about. Mm-hmm. And it's like – but when he's here, he, like, embraces everybody. And he's always been open. Like, he never tried to be too clean or, like – he didn't care if you liked him. Right. And that's like the hardest thing for most athletes. Like, you know, like they're very like polished and manufactured and like really like looking at social media to see what people are saying. And like they're, they don't like to be criticized and like they want, they, they just want to be patted on the head and approved. And he's like, I do not care. And that, I think that's like the most brave and bold thing about him. So for all his flaws and all the teams he bounced around and like, you know, not the best locker room guy and like, People out, and it's like people like one on one with him have almost always had bad experiences. Like he's not a great person <laughs> to deal with <laughs> as a fan, but it doesn't matter because he's like. But that's just what it is. And people in Philly are, 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 are like people. Like Philly's a very real city. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I, it, that sounds. That's like, it's like a very cliche thing to say, but like when I've been to L.A. and spent a lot of time on the West Coast, it's very. It's a. It's, it's like a vacation. It's like not real. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the people that live there, they're all like gorgeous. Like, that's not real. Like, most people aren't gorgeous. You know right. what I mean? Like, most people aren't actors and having $100,000 cars. Like, that's not real. So people here, like, Philly is the biggest, it's the poorest major city. You know, so we have a lot going on here, but you got to work really hard. <laughs> like, And that was that was Alan. Like, you know, he would get destroyed with a clothesline from somebody. Like, ah, he's supposed to miss three weeks, and he would miss two games. Right. It's like, yeah, yeah, all right, man, get up, go. It's it was like a very, it's like this is our guy. Even if he doesn't practice, even if you know he butts heads with a coach and like does ridiculous things, like he's just he's like the walking logo in a way that like other guys wanted to be and never were here. Right? They're like you know they, they they couldn't pull that off. So I put him on there just because it was like I had to. You know, like he's like <laughs> he's in there for me. Like like it's kind of always lived on. Would you? Um, and this is uh, with with uh, with just a heads up. This is a question from your friend and fellow MC uh, Premarock. Uh, if, oh, nice. if you and this could be AI that you're going to. This could be the answer. It could be AI. But if you were to kind of compare your rap career to a '76 or either current or former uh, <laughs> or historic, who would that be? Would that be AI still? Nah, no way. No, because <laughs> uh, no. No, I was never that like. You know, incredibly like dominant, flashy, like fierce. Um, man, I guess the guy that jumps to mind is like Aaron McKay mm. because he was like the steady Eddie guy. So he went to Temple, which is also my alma mater. So I remember watching him in college, and he was never like the greatest guy in college. And he was a lottery pick. I think the Blazers drafted him, and then he. Uh, he didn't really do a lot for them, and then the Sixers traded for him, and then he kind of found his role being the sixth man, and he was a guy that could always calm down Iverson. Like, that was a guy Iverson would always respect. And he was a guy, like, making the big shots and big games, hitting corner threes, you know, so he almost never started, but he he, he was, like, the, the calming influence that was like, hey, man, everything's going to be okay. And then by the time he left the Sixers, uh, he was kind of like like free like contract fodder. Like I think he like, bounced around like the Lakers and something else, and he had like a lot of injuries and stuff. And then he became a coach. He coached the Sixers for summer league for a little bit, and now he coaches 
my alma mater, Temple. But I guess I picked him because it's like he just never stopped. Mm. Like <laughs> he he never had. I think he was always aware of like what he was really good at and what he shouldn't be doing. So he wasn't like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm like the next whoever. I'm going to be that guy. I'm going to be dunking all over you, and then I'm going to be jumping up like and Vince Carter and you and Jordan. Like he never had that game, but he was always in control, and he was like very like deliberate. Like he never made like bad plays. He was never getting embarrassed. He was never popping off in the media. He was, but he was never like you know a superstar. Hmm. I think I think he's always he just. But if you saw him and you understood the game, like he he's like so beloved in Philly, you know, just for that. Like he doesn't, you know, he didn't have scoring titles or all star appearances, but w- w- what those teams needed, he gave it to them. And then the, and every time Iverson would be hurt in, in a playoff game or something, Aaron McKee would get like thirty. You know what I mean? So I I think like he's the guy. Like I don't know why he just he's the first person that came to my mind, and I don't know how that would like tie to me as a rapper, but like, <laughs> I can't. I can't like realistically say out Irishman because I never had like that like that brash cockiness to be like yo this is this is who I am take it or leave it right. like I was never I was never that person I was more like Aaron McKee like yo I know, I know how to help people you know get what they need to get going for themselves and then I could flex on the side too right. you know and if it calls for that I could do it but I just think I just like that he's always been around it so like I said he went from playing in my alma mater to now he coaches there. He's just always been in best. So for me, it's like I feel like I just always have been a rap. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> I can't leave it alone. Like it's a quote, Jay Z. Two questions, bro. <laughs> Thanks. I, I, I do have a Primark question, but that actually I want to skip over the Primark question real quick too. It kind of that answer you just gave me kind of leads me into a lyric that you spit that I think now makes a lot of sense and 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 in a way that like I'm going to ask you who you're referring to at this moment, but I think. Your analogy, you know, your comparison there just made sense. So you spit on live from the uh, driver's seat, never got credit for being versatile. Um, what are you referring to in, in this lyric, or who are you referring to? So I think when I said that, it was funny. It was like a weird flex for me, but I, I think it's like really interesting to see, you know, when you we get kind of um, I don't want to say like complacent or like. Um, kind of like lock like it's easy to put like artists you know just in boxes like okay like that guy's like a punchline rapper that guy's a battle rapper that dude is like a weird artsy guy um so i don't think i've ever like fit into any of the boxes which is not real real original nobody feels like they fit the box but i've had like the like the art rap tag put on me and then i've had like the boom bap is back tag put on me and that's cool like because i love that so I've, i've always like I've always loved Andy Kahn as much as I always loved, I don't know, like Biggie. And I've always loved like DMX as much as I love like Beastie Boys. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, like Puffy as much as I would love like Capone and Noriega or something. And so my output over the, the length of my career has had like very, well, like a lot of different phases and styles. And so I was doing like next level, like 140 BPM stuff. And like 2002, 2003. And then I was like doing more like rugged East Coast lyricism stuff. And then I was doing artsier stuff over like indie rock samples. And then some stuff that was like debonair, like seat of your pants, or like Tropicala stuff, or like Bossa Nova stuff, to back to doing like more straight ahead East Coast stuff. So, excuse me. I just think it's, um, 
I think like when they come out individually and, and you kind of like notice with, with, like, with like your listenership over time, like your listener base, mm-hmm. they change over time too. So certain people that were down with stuff in like 07, maybe by 2010, 11, they're gone. But then you get a new set of people in 2011 and to, through 2014 and, and they may like dip off or come back or whatever. So I think like the bulk of people that know me now mostly know me from like the last two, three years of material. Um, but like when I made future former rapper, which came out last year, that's like, that's, that album's a culmination, of like every style I, I had done up until that point. So that album is kind of like a greatest hits in terms of what, what can I pass off? So there's like, you know, loop driven, like, like straight up East coast stuff on there. And there's like electronic stuff on there. There's like weird time signature stuff on there. There's, there's a lot going on. So I don't think like. People look at that and be like, wow, man, there's a lot of stuff happening. It's kind of like people are like, that's good. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I like it. Oh, cool. Well, I like this song. Great. Thank you. I, I like that song too. But it's not like, man, it's amazing Like seeing you go from this to this to this to this to this. You know, like that's the part where I kind of said that. Like, And then also, you know, being a, doing beats for 15 years and writing for websites and now like everyone else in the world, having a podcast with Alaska and Curly Castro. So, right. um, I, 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 people don't say like, man, like you've really been able to do a lot of stuff. It's just always like centered in the moment. Like that, that video was great. Which right. is awesome to hear too. You know, like I like the, these three songs. Cool. Thank you. It's so it's, that's like the one thing when I, when I, I wrote that down thinking that like, you know, <laughs> it'd be cool to be like, someone be like, Hey, I've seen all these things. All right, man, way to go. You know, uh, the track, the end of uh, end of Spy Spy vs. Spy, is uh, features uh, Vic Spencer. It's produced by Ray West. Uh, use the use the late Biggie Biggie Smalls message to young rappers on it. Uh, mm-hmm. Why why did you guys choose to kind of use that message at the end? And what do you think is the maybe the biggest mistake two days MC goes in, when they go into the business? What what's the biggest mistake they make? Not sure question, man. Um, I remember finding that Biggie one. That was an outtake from another movie from 1996 called uh, Rhyme and Reason, which was like, I used to run that back on VHS constantly. Um, and so I remember thinking about that. that. That wasn't the movie. It was like an outtake interview. Right. I remember seeing it and just loving like a guy like, because I've always like talked about Biggie on like on other, on other podcasts in person, how like Biggie broke the game because he was just the ultimate package. Like he could do everything. So he was like the LeBron of basket, of, uh, of rap because it was like, oh, you want me to do story raps? I could do that. You want me to do songs for the club? I could do that. Um, bragging raps, got it. You know, death threats, I'm the best at that. R&B remixes, I could do that. Like, he could just do anything. And so, but everyone tried to follow suit because it was the industry. He was successful doing, you know, crossover records and doing grimy records. But, like, no one could do that but him. Because no one before that could pull all that stuff off and have respect and sales and money. So hearing him talk about that, being like, yo, just do you. Like, you know, don't just chase whatever's out there. Mm. You know, like wearing something that doesn't look right on you. And it's amazing hearing someone say that. <laughs> because he probably had that thrown at him. You know, like when that line, he said, you know, black black and ugly as ever. Like he knew what he was. <laughs> he had a lazy eye. He had like a light lisp. He was very dark skinned. He was overweight. And he was just like, yeah, but I'm gonna wear like, I'm gonna wear these fly sweaters and 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 Gucci socks and Versace shades, like with a cane, you know, and a hat. Like he looked amazing. He was like larger than life. Mm-hmm. But hearing him be like, yo, this doesn't work for everybody. What I do, 
because this works for me because that's where I'm this is, this is like my this is my comfort level um, and the irony was like everyone just kept trying to chase what he did or hated him for it and either went directly in opposition to him and, and create a whole like niche industry of you know indie rap and lyrical rap and backpack rap and, and anti-commercial rap or it made people double down and be like yeah I want I want to cut of that pie too like I want to be jiggy now and so uh, I, I think like the art like it's harder because there's just no like artist development anymore. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like he had like Puffy being like, I know what to do with you. You know what I mean? Like you are not a sex symbol, but I will make you a sex symbol without having like, take your shirt off. <laughs> Either, like <laughs> right. go to the gym. Like he became a sex symbol because he just played up on like, I'm literally larger than life and I can be on songs with total one twelve, And you know what I mean? Like, I can do all that. And I'm a guy like guys may not want to mess with because I wrote, you know, who shot you or whatever. So, but he had like, he had, you know, one of the greatest producers ever, like handling that with him, like guiding him on his way. So I think like now, because of the internet and all these outlets, you know, you know, like SoundCloud and Spotify and YouTube, like people can just, you know, strike gold and make a song in the room to impress their friends and he gets 18 million plays. And now it's like, okay, now we have to sign you. Right. So you got all these things and we're trying to ride this wave and make some money for the fourth quarter to justify our salaries. And it, it, it's gonna, it might take that kid two, three years to make something good again. But it's like, well, his SoundCloud was popping for four or five months. Uh, we signed him. It didn't work out. We'll just drop him real quick. Cool. We'll go next one. Right. And I think now it's more like you don't have that time like to develop. You know what I mean? Like, without being without sharing everything you make all the time like everything is like instantly there's no demos right you know what i mean like biggie had demos that's how he got on he had demos you know what i mean with uh his dj and all that so i think like that's not there and i think um you know it's it's hard to be totally comfortable especially like in a social media age when like just people just strangers are telling you you ain't shit (laughs) like whenever they feel like it you know i mean I, i imagine that's really difficult for someone who's really young, you know? So uh, the, the, I guess the hope would be that there, there is like still like technical producers out there and executives that are doing that, that I'm not aware of. But I think that that's, that's, that's something he and a lot of those people benefited from that's just gone now. You know, there's, there's no time for that. Everything's like, what's next? What's next? What's next? What's next? And from an Asway, I mean, from Asway perspective, I see that and I'm like, well, I, I feel kind of bad for the actual artists because they're just, you know, they're they're just they're just as good as their YouTube number, right? And then, mm-hmm. I mean, as you mentioned, like once that YouTube hit is gone after whatever, it could be four months, five months. Uh, they're the that executive producer, whoever it is, is on to the next YouTube number, and right. that one's left to like try to uh, try try to chase another. The, the old guys are left to try to chase another hit until, and then, and then they're just like doing nothing. <laughs> um, right, like I don't know if you ever saw that clip from like Frank Zappa. No. Um, shout, shout out to my homie Barry, uh, Disco Vietnam, who's done a lot of beats. Um, he showed me a clip from Frank Zappa from the 80s being like, you know, you know why the record, and this is the 80s. He's like, you know why the record industry sucks? He was like, cause in the, he's like in the 60s, it was all like old guys chopping cigars with no hair in charge of the labels. And they didn't know what the hell was going on. So they were getting all these crazy records from all these artists, you know, experimental stuff like deep poetry stuff, anti-war stuff, psychedelic stuff, free jazz. And they were like, we don't know. We don't know who, I don't know. Just put it out. Just put it out. See what sticks. I don't know. He was like, and then after a while, all those guys from that era came up. I'm like, no, nah, man, 
we're the artists. We know what it is, man. I toured with this guy. I know this musician. I played the, no, you don't even know how to do this, man. You don't even know what's going on. And he was like, so it's actually like when the, the high-nosed, business-minded, quote-unquote, artist took over, that's when it was like, I know how to manipulate this mm-hmm. because I've been in the game. Like, I've been around these guys, so I know how to make a knockoff of this group to make a knockoff of that guy to hire the, the producer to do this. He says, and that's what killed it, because before that, it was guys just getting out of the way, being like, I don't know anything, we just put it out. Right. And that's why, like, the best music is from the 60s. You know what I mean? Right, right. Oh, like, there, was no, there was nobody in the way being like, no, actually, this is how we're going to manipulate this, this market over here. Right, and it was like from artists that became executives. <laughs> uh, speaking of a, a producer that is that I actually really like, every time I hear something by him, it's like I'm never disappointed. Uh, Ray West, uh, he produces Spy vs. Spy. How did that collaboration happen, and kind of what what do you look for in a producer when you're trying to work with him or her? That's a great question, man. Um, Ray Ray and I are actually working on a project right now. We have about two songs deep. Nice. Uh, on like an EP or something. Um, I found Ray just from credits, like liner notes. Like I saw he recorded the bulk of Marsburg, you know, which is like my favorite album of this decade. And so I remember seeing his name on that. And then I remember he got the, the, the B placement on a uh, reloaded on a, uh, with mine spray with a uh, rock Marcy and Ka. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, I'm like, this guy makes beats. I remember him as just an engineer. And then I remember seeing, um, that one album uh, with AG called Everything is Berry. Yeah. And I remember like looking at that artwork being like, I always liked AG because he just kept always just putting records out. Like there was no gaps. He would always be working. So I remember like just staring at that artwork all the time being like, yo, I gotta, I gotta listen to this joint. And I started playing that and I was like, I started reading credits. I'm like, yo, this guy Ray West like did this whole album. And then I, you know, stumbled into Red Apples like they're, they're labeled together and all their 45s and then you know, his album with OC, Race Cafe, and yeah. the 12 Inches, and Party Artie stuff, and stuff. And I was like, man, this guy is, like, incredible. And so I just reached out to him, just as, like, showing love. I was like, yo, man, like, I'm blown away. Like, this, I just want you to know, like, this shit is amazing. And he responded, and we just started talking. And I was like, wow. And then we just kind of sent each other, like, care packages of music. So he sent me a bunch of 45s, and I sent him whatever CDs and tapes I had at the time. And he would be bigging it up. Like, he'd be posting it on Instagram or something like that. I was like, wow. Like, to me, I'm like, this guy doesn't need to share my music. No, I'm a nobody. Um, but he's like me. He's a family man. You know what I mean? Like, he yeah. just cares about his wife and his family and his kid and, and then making music in his basement when he when he can. And just being prolific in his own way. And uh, so we just, we just kept being cool. And so I asked him when I was making a future former rapper for... Like, you know, I was like, I really want you on this project. So I got, I ended up picking the beat, uh, Drunk in History, which he did on Future Former Rapper. And then, uh, and then I got another beat for him on, uh, me and, me and Curly Castro's EP called Griff Company. Um, he did a song on there called, uh, called uh, Short Family. What is it called? No, it's called Smart Family, Dumb Friends, or something like that. So it's like a little interlude joint. And then, um, so it was time to make 96 Mentality. I hit him again. I was like, yo, I need something like, I need you. Then and I and I, I kind of gave him a path. I was like, I kind of need like like a something based around the Fugees. Um, uh, what was that song on the score? Uh, Another MC loses oh, life yeah. tonight. Oh, that's right. How many mic? Who's that song? No, that- what is that? Zealots? Is it called Zealots? I forget the name of that. I'm blanking. Anyway, so he sent me joints 
Uh, and he also sent me the beat for Spy vs. Right, Fire. Zealots, Zealots. Yeah, Zealots. Zealots, right, Zealots, which is crazy. Uh, and I always love that sample anyway, because it's, it's like in the Bronx Tale, which is one of my favorite movies, and it's just a great song. So he gave me a beat with that sample, but then he gave me like three or four, and then the beat for Spy vs. Spy, I was like, ooh, this is like... Because his beats are very simple. Like, he likes to build up the beat and then strip it down mm. to have it only like three or four sounds, like the best sounds. So then uh, me and Vic Spencer got cool, and then... Um, I sent him a bunch of joints. I was like, yo, which one jumps out of you? You want to work on with me? And he picked that one. And I was like, oh, all right. So uh, it kind of kind of all meant to be. But when, when I pick producers, it's like there needs to be an element where, like, it makes you want to create right away. Right. You know I mean, so oh, there's, there's a lot of guys with so many different sounds and there's different vibes and things I'm feeling at any moment. But... Even if even if I pick it out and don't work on it for like a month or so, like I know, like yo, I know what to do with that. Versus like getting a lot of beats from someone because they're hot at the time, and you're like, I just want to like have their name next to my name. Like I don't care about that anymore. I, I used to be like that, but uh, when, so when I pick producers, like so, so me and Small Professor have had like so much music together over the years, even before we did Career Crooks as a duo. Because I would always be making records and I always get beats from him. I would always write to his beats as fastest, and then I'd always be doing shows. And I'd always have one or two of his beats in my live set for years. And I was like, why aren't we just being a group? Like, this is stupid. <laughs> so his beats are like rap made, ready to go. Like any small pro beat. So we just finished the new Career Crooks album. He's doing post-production on that. But I, I probably like took like eight months front to back to pick all the beats, write all the songs, record everything. Um, but like other producers like Ray West or like Barry Disco Vietnam or like my homie Quandry, like they all have like very specific aesthetic choices about them and so i know like if i have a certain idea I'm like i know that guy do, oh, can okay. tap into that oh, you know what i mean so like with ray it's like a very like like a very like haunting like like a lot of space and i know what his stuff like how i would approach it versus like small pros like rapid like put it on i rap like things come to me right away when i play his music mm. so it's like it they all they all have like a certain thing that makes them separate but i know because i'm a producer too so like i know I'm really good at like figuring out what what goes together. You know what I mean? I'm like, okay, if this beat's like really busy, then the the flow's got to be like simple. You know, what I mean? or if the beat's very simple and and there's a lot of room, then then you could you know to put a lot more vocal on top of it or whatever. So it's like being a producer, thinking about it too, like okay, I I know like what 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 are good contrasts? Like what's what's the way to balance this out? Hmm. That's so. Um, so this is a, so my final question. I, I really appreciate you taking the time for this interview. Um, Thanks, bro. You you know you you've had so far you, you you have music and you're you know you have a long discography and the the future former rapper I, that that album name is just incredible to me. And every time you've said it during this interview, I was like, God, that's a freaking good name of that album. Uh, <laughs> but if, if we look at this album, uh, ninety six and ninety six mentality, if you were to kind of mm -hmm. take say one track or maybe even like a lyric from this album that kind of best represents where you are as an artist today uh which album which which track would that be or just which lyric would that be oh my god oh dude oh man 96 mentality oh i really gotta think about this one i can't even remember the tracks there's <laughs> one year <laughs> oh my god uh you know why? Because it is like the first album I haven't like performed incessantly and did like release parties and did all that extra stuff. Mm. Um, wow. Okay, there, there's there's ones on 
feature form, I guess, that like, pop out because I, I, I like performed it more in the videos and stuff. This one I just like put out. I was like, yo, man, I want people to check it out. Right. Um, man, that's a good question. Live from the driver's seat. I guess, uh, I guess like, I mean, it's the one that people really rock with a lot. I, it's kind of like a tie it's between uh, Win, Win Duffy and uh, East Bay Catalog. Hmm. And because um, they're both, to me, like one and the same. Like those are beats I heard right away. I was like, oh, my God. I have to make music to this today, and uh, so the, so when Duffy is, is produced by my homie the expert, he's a, he's an overseas cat, and he he just put up a like a Spotify playlist of all the songs he's done together so far. It's like six seven joints. There. He's great. Like he's a grimy like straightforward guy. I love, I love his work. Hmm. And uh, when Duffy's titled after this character on the show, Justified, and uh, me and Barry Disco Vietnam like the only cast that ever watched Justified. So I kind of like put that song title out there for Barry, <laughs> even though it wasn't on his beat. Um, and that, and so I picked that because the, the hook I say, I was like, if you don't mind, I've always been a lot of things. I've always been a lot of things. I've always been a lot of things. And I kind of like list off every like job. I used to be a courier. I used to be a butcher. I've been a delivery guy. I've been, I've worked in a pizza restaurant for 15 years. I've been a recruiter. You know, I've been a rapper, producer. Like I've had like so many different roles in my life so i think like uh that was the first time i like laid it all out on a song like <laughs> nice. you know what i mean like i've done it all in, in, a, in an interesting time frame so that's all when duffy and then i guess like east bay catalog is like that beat man was, i was like yo this joint because I, I always want like on the hook i was like you know i was like 2000 maximum east bay catalog 22 outfits that i might check mazel tov <laughs> nice because I always wanted to drive a 2000 Maxima. That was like my first dream car for some reason. I just always loved that car. I never had one. And I always wanted one so bad. And then I just said East Bay Catalog because I just loved East Bay. That was, like, that was like our Bible when we were kids in school. Like that was how you could look at all the fresh clothes every month. Mm, nice. So if you had the yeah. East Bay Catalog or like a source magnet, like you were the god that day. People would be passing around. You'd get it back and be all wrinkled. People would be circling stuff. You only get that jersey. You only get these. Not a Robins in white. Nah. And then, uh, then I said, then the rest part of the hook, I say 22 outfits and a mic check. That's a Cappadonna lyric um, from Slang Editorial. Mm-hmm. And Cappadonna is like a big driving, he's a big inspiring figure from 96 Mentality because he's just like so off the cuff, like spontaneous energy. Like Ryman, just like, like I remember like listening to The Pillage a lot when I was making 96 Mentality, even though I dropped 98. Because like Cappadonna is just like, you just you could do like that guy just loves rapping. Right. He loves words. He loves flowing. Like even watching the Wu Tang documentary, like he's still like the way he dresses, the way he talks. Like he was just born to be a rapper. That guy, and so he 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 gets like his little dap on the chorus, and then I just model top. Wow, just sound dope. And and Barry is one of my my favorite coolest Jewish friends I ever had. So that was like I figured he would like that too on the hook. So there you go. It kind of like it kind of gives you uh, all the things I love in one chorus <laughs> like right. outside like my family <laughs> uh new album is 96 mentality uh zillaraka you could get that at three dollar pistol.com the three t-h-r-e-e dollar pistol.com uh zilla thank you so much for joining me on the library with tim Anikel today thanks tim shout shouts to you man shouts to prime for hooking us up and wrecking crew guys castro Small Pro uh, Call Out Culture Podcast with Alaska. We just started getting those out there to everybody. Nice. So, yeah, man, this has been cool, man. Thank just you.